All right, welcome back to another episode of the Christian Sages. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the special intro for spiritual warfare? It was, yeah. That was, you know, I should have done it like a demon, like done a voice, you know, a voice manipulator there. And like, you know, I have one on yeah. my computer, but I don't know how to kind of link it to the OBS. I have to figure it out. Well, eventually you'll just drink coffee, check on that, and it'll sound <laughs> sound good enough. Yeah, it'll be like you know, casting out spirit. Do you remember those days when? Uh, People actually did that for for spiritual warfare, for like deliverance, when they would like actually have like buckets and stuff in the church because people were like throwing up demons. Remember those days? I, I, I don't remember that exactly, but that's interesting. Oh, yeah, I remember those days. I mean, I don't remember doing that, but I remember when people were doing that. <clears throat> I mean, who am I kidding? I'm sure we had. Some I remember that did somebody that. telling me that whenever you yawn, a <clears throat> demon is coming out. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. So, so around that person, I would never yawn. <laughs> you and wanna... if, of course, I did tell them, you know, maybe it just means you didn't get enough sleep last night. <laughs> it could be. It could be. It's <laughs> but, like the whole yeah. time that you, every time you sneeze, you have a minor heart attack. I've heard that one, too. Well, well you know. <clears throat> that's why you say bless you. That's why you say bless you, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, people talking about sneezing and demons coming out, people either overemphasize spiritual warfare, you know, overemphasize everything right? and make it really weird and kooky or yeah. they underemphasize it and act like there's no devil uh, yep. around at all, you know? Yep, absolutely. So, I mean, we've kind of discussed that in the past. So uh, for those of you who are listening, this episode is going to be on spiritual warfare. You probably know that because you clicked on our YouTube channel. And as we'd like to say, as we get started, if you would, if you like the content that we create, please like and subscribe. It really helps us out. We're trying to build something here. And uh, the more people that we can get to like and subscribe, the better it is for us. And definitely leave us comments. Uh, we'd love to see some comments. We've had very few. Um, we've had a few emails, but not too many at all. <laughs> we'd love to get some emails. So if you found this and you've kind of stumbled on this, leave us a leave us a comment. Like and subscribe. Leave us a comment. And uh, you can send us an email at thechristiansages at gmail.com as well, and we'd love to hear from you. So we were actually talking about that uh, in one of the other podcasts. I remember we were talking about, um, uh, I don't know, witchcraft or whatever, one of the ones we had talked about before, and I had said we wanted to do one on the rise of the paranormal investigator. But the reality of it is is that in the in the 80s, 70s and 80s in particular, and I think it had a lot to do with the Jesus movement, which is really a bunch of Christian hippies. But with the Jesus movement, they really kind of got into this metaphysical spiritual warfare where there was a devil around every corner and there were, there were uh, you know, these powerful demons in, in every city. And not that I disagree with that. I think there is some truth to that. But they also kind of got into this whole uh, deliverance kick and where there was a devil around every corner and everything was a devil or it was a witch praying against the church. And then we kind of got to the, the end of the like mid nineties, early two thousands. And that generation really wanted to distance themselves from that kind of Christianity, from that metaphysical, um, spiritual warfare centered Christianity. And then they went kind of shifted to the opposite spectrum and started saying, well, really, you know, we don't want to talk about the devil. We don't want to deal with spiritual warfare. We don't want to deal with deliverance in the churches or casting out devils. That that kind of stuff is either for another time or we just simply don't believe it anymore. And so it's yeah. kind of, um, ooh, that's great. Uh, wow. 
you guys get to hear that I had an alarm. Woo! That so, was a beautiful uh, alarm, was, by the way. Wasn't it? it wasn't. I mean, you wake up to that like that. Do, 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 do. You know. Oh, uh, that would give me a spasm in my neck if I had to hear that. <laughs> I'm just too lazy to change it. It's a new phone. It's really all it is. But anyway, and so <laughs> yeah. there's a wake up call from the from God. It was an angel came down. But but anyway, I think you know we, they kind of like went the opposite direction, and, and it really is something in between. You can't deny that there's spiritual warfare out there. You can't deny that there's a spirit. That what we do, and one of the very foundational aspects of Christianity is the fact that there is a spirit world, and that we do have interactions with that spirit world. So you can't go to the opposite direction and just kind of be like, well, we don't want to deal with it. Because then people, when they really are dealing with uh, the supernatural and when they're dealing with some actual spiritual warfare, they don't have the right answers because we're not we're not talking about it. So they go to the kooky places. They go to the, you know, the psychics and the crystal healers and, and all those kind of people. And it's like, so we can't be afraid to discuss it. But we also yeah. don't want to get so extreme where we are kind of like everything is a devil. I remember... And you probably didn't know. I don't think you knew this person, but I remember there was one person one time. She's a great lady. Loved her to death. Still love her to death. Uh, but she had said, you know, I couldn't find my keys and I prayed and, you know, got an angel brought my keys to me. You know, and I'm not, again, I'm not <laughs> minimizing that, but that that kind of like everything is over-spiritualized, that also, you know, can get a little kooky. She was. Right. Don't get me wrong. She was not kooky. But I think... Yeah, I think the problem with um, there's a book I read a while back, uh, Jim Osman, Truth or Territory, and he just basically goes through a biblical approach to spiritual warfare. And I think the problem that we have is is it's not just the kooky people that are off on spiritual warfare. There there are a ton of books on spiritual warfare, and a lot of it goes away from what the Bible talks about. And sure. So, so for for example, a lot of things that, um, you know, a lot of things that I always thought was was correct and is is actually is is not exactly correct. Like uh, binding and rebu- rebuking Satan, for example. Okay. Um, so, s- stuff like that, we're 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 not ever told, like we're never told to bind and rebuke him. We're told to resist the devil. And sure. really, when you, you think about spiritual warfare, when you think about spiritual warfare, right, he says that, but he's not talking about doing that with Satan. No, that's true. As a matter of fact, if, if, if we're to bind and rebuke him, I mean, people going around binding and rebuking him, who's letting him loose? Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's yeah, just kind of silly. But, but it's not biblical. When you look at bib, like biblical spiritual warfare, um, some of the verses that uh, Jim Osmond uses, for example, is, is really the, he shows how the battle's in your mind. And he goes to Second Corinthians ten, talking about for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and lofty opinions that raise themselves against the knowledge of God. And every thought we take captive, captive. to obey yep. Christ. Yep. So right there, the battle is really in your mind. And yep. when when you look at the fortresses and the the strongholds that it's talking about, these are strongholds sure. of, of thought, of deception, of evolution, yep. of cults, Absolutely. of false religions. And Absolutely. these things exalt themselves against Christ, and look at what Paul does in Corinthians. He goes in and he says, I didn't come preaching lofty words, but I came with power, a demonstration preaching the gospel Absolutely. of Christ and him crucified. 
Absolutely. So and that's Bible, you know that, well, that the Bible says, "As a man thinks in his heart, so is he." You know that that's one of the biggest struggles that we have is that we allow ourselves in our own in our mind in our thinking to go back to our old way of doing things. <clears throat> and there's a battle there, and that's where temptation comes in. You know, temptation comes into our mind first. Temptation, uh, we you know that comes into our head first. So we have a tendency to to not realize that that really is where the battlefield is. That's why the Bible says to renew your, yeah. your mind with the washing of the water of the word. That's, right. a, that's a powerful tool. And one of the best books I've ever read on spiritual warfare was Battlefield of the Mind by Joyce Myers. I love that book. And that's specifically what she talks about is, you know, that the battlefield of the mind is the first and foremost place where we engage the enemy. That's where we really do a lot of spiritual warfare. It's one of the reasons why the Bible is so important, because putting that into your mind changes the way you think. When you meditate on something, it begins to change the way you think, which then begins to change your emotions, begins to change the way you act, and the way you act begins to change the world around you. I mean, that's simply the truth. And so it's really important that we do realize that the Word of God and putting the Word of God into our mind and meditating on that day and night, that is how we kind of operate how we change our thinking that's how we change that internal thought process that drives us right yeah um so yeah you got and one thing we we often just go straight to uh this this imagination of of angels fighting demons and spiritual warfare not saying that that doesn't go on of course but what we focus on is stuff that we're never told to, to 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 focus on. We're never instructed in that stuff. As a matter of fact, you look at what Paul told Titus and Timothy in the pastoral epistles, and he does a lot of talking about preaching the Word of God, rebuking, uh, setting up elders, uh, um, the way you know women and men are supposed to behave, and, and so forth. Uh, fighting, see, see, he talks about fighting, but he says fight the good fight, and he talks about love and grace, letting that abound, and not going for... Um, you know, um, sin and wickedness, but there's three fronts that we fight really in spiritual warfare. Primarily it's the flesh, then the world, then the devil. And the thing is, they all kind of, they kind of, kind of work together. For example, the world, the world is not appealing to us, but unless our, but our flesh is attracted to it. Absolutely. The devil would not be tempting us except our flesh is attracted to the temptations. Absolutely. Um, and we put it in, too. I mean, the more we put in the things of the world, it's like if I struggle, anybody who looks at porn is going to struggle with lust. Anybody who says they can't, oh, I can look at porn or I can go to a strip club and it doesn't bother me is a liar. It, it will affect you. So the, what you put in, it's going to affect what you're tempting, what you're tempted with. You know what I'm saying? Obviously, there is an enemy out there, and there are going to be temptations that come that I really believe are plans of the enemy. But a lot of times, we do it to ourselves because we put things in. We look at stuff, and we are around things we shouldn't be around, and that adds that temptation to us. And then we automatically want to say, oh, well, that's the devil. But really, it was we were just dumb, and we just put ourselves into situations that we shouldn't have been in. Or we wanted to be tempted because we wanted to fall into a sin, and then that's our justification. Oh, well, you know, I was tempted, and I was struggling. No, you're struggling because you're putting things in you shouldn't. Right. I mean, it's really simple. I mean, I know it's not always that simple, but there's some reality to that. Right, yeah. It's, it's something that um, a lot of people hate 
uh, Puritans, for example, even Christians. I, I was just yeah, having a sure. conversation with somebody sure. who they hate Puritans, and I actually love Puritans. I've got a book of of prayers by Puritans, and they sure. and I, I think they're wonderful people. They they focus so much on holiness, but a lot of people today read that and say, "Oh, they were so self righteous," and it's like, no. Well, well, when they talk about that they were mortifying their sin, that's something that needs to come back in our link in our language Absolutely. as Christians, Absolutely. because they recognize that, Absolutely. wow, I, I'm a sinful person. I keep I keep wandering away from God, and I keep, you know, He's He's my Savior. I love my Savior, yeah. but I keep wandering towards this thing or that thing, and they would work at mortifying their flesh. And like you said, part of that is recognizing this is not a good place for me and not, not a good scene for me i need to stay away from that and today we look at it and somebody a christian who says that we should say well good for you yeah. you know you're you're focusing on on um mortifying that flesh mortifying that sin in that area I'm, but no I mean, we have christians to, we have I've, christians right. who actually would look at that and say yeah. oh you don't be legalistic man come on right well, because grace. we're not under the law right. and there's a, there, and there's truth to that but there is a way and i think that applies to things that aren't sin but we use that as a justification to sin sometimes. Oh, well, I'm not legalistic, so I can go on and do these things because, you know, oh, I don't want to, you know, I'm not going to fall under legalism. And, and you know, and there is some reality to there are certain things that aren't sins that we have set up as sins. And, yeah, I, and I believe that those are th- that by imposing your your own convictions upon somebody, that's being legalistic. And and that's right. wrong. That's imposing your beliefs, your 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 belief of what's sin and what's not. Which we got, you know, we've been studying the Old Testament in our small groups, and and one of the biggest problems is, and where the biggest sin came, where chaos and sin in the world came from, was everybody determining what was right and wrong. That's what the tree of knowledge and good and evil represented. Was God doesn't say what's right and wrong. We all get to determine it. Well, that's going to change from person to person. So that's why you have a world filled with chaos and a world filled with many different structures and ways of doing things because it's whatever you feel like, because that's what it means to be a God and say, well, then I determine what's right and wrong. Well, I think homosexuality is wrong. Well, that other person doesn't think homosexuality is wrong. Which one of us is right? Well, you do you and I'll do me kind of thing. Well, it doesn't work that way. There's, there is an actual right and wrong, and that is determined by God. It isn't determined right. by my own perception of things. So when well, we impose our our own convictions that aren't biblical sins onto people, that I think that that we're wrong. But if it's a sin, and it's a real sin, you know that's a different story entirely. Yeah, um, that's something that a, a lot of Christians. Um, I, I think one of the biggest problems I've said this before is just our biblical illiteracy. And what you see, for example, on a college campus, um, the law of God. Yeah. Well, um, the thing about the law of God is the law of God, his moral law, pre-existed even creation. Because his yes. moral law is an expression of his character. Absolutely. So when you say, Absolutely. well, the moral law doesn't apply to us, you can't pick and choose. And it's like, no, as a Christian, I read the Old Testament and I have to pick and choose. Sure. Because I understand that there's three divisions of the law. The yes. ceremony on the civil law don't apply to me as a Christian, That's but right. the moral law absolutely applies. Absolutely. So that if I wanted to go back, I am forced to pick and choose because I'm not allowed to go and um, I'm not free to go sacrifice a goat for my sins. 
That would be an abomination because Christ fulfilled that aspect of the law, and he is the once and for all sacrifice. But we can look at the moral law, which is... Which is right there. You look at a Leviticus 18 and 19, and you have uh, treat the poor, don't treat them unjustly, don't lie to your neighbors, love your neighbors, You have, don't lie with a man as another uh, a man and a man lying together. And then it has other things in there, which talk about the boundaries and about, um, you know, ceremonial ritual things. Right, let's, let's, you know, when you go to the bathroom, you go outside the camp and you dig up <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's, it's I love what sticks out in your mind. Like, yeah, but what I'm saying is, is, it's in there. So you know, you have people that are like that have used. Oh well, we don't do that anymore. Like, I'm supposed to go outside and dig a hole to justify them not having to believe any of it. I just dig a and hole in my neighbor's yard. Yeah, that's what I would do too. <laughs> I go into Bernie Sanders' Sanders' yard. And, well, uh, yeah, but what I was saying is when the Christians want to untether from the Old Testament completely when they want to yeah. untether from the law. We're under. It's like, well, what do you think the apostles held up and said? Uh, the apostle Paul says, kids, obey your parents. Yep. For that is, the, that is a, a command that is given a promise. Yep. Well, he's talking about God's moral law, which is, was ex- expressed yeah. in the Ten Commandments. They sure. didn't throw out everything whole hawk. So, no, of course they didn't. And, but there were certain things that, like you said, that were ritual laws that were given as a ritual that represented something else. And then there were things that I kind of look at the law, and then there were things that were practical that are not practical in today's society because we understand bacteria, for instance. Well, why wouldn't you eat shellfish? Because they were filled with bacteria, and you're going to die if if not cooked properly. And But we understand those things nowadays. We understand bacteria. We understand viruses. We understand how to kill them. We understand how to prepare food and destroy them. So it's a, it's a completely different environment. So that was, at the time, practical. And he made it a law because practicality made sense then. But it doesn't make sense now because it's not right. practical. But then there's that moral aspect of the, the moral code. That is what Paul is talking about when he says that's not passed away. Or through that comes death because in the moral code, we understand that we'll never fulfill it. We will always fail because there will be something we've done wrong. But through Jesus Christ, the law has been fulfilled. And right. so that that represents that idea that I don't need the sacrificial representation because that's Jesus. I don't need the practice. As life changes, I don't. I no longer need the practical, practical law part. But the moral law, that moral center, what represents God's character, always stays. Right. I mean, it's, it's very, very clear. And yeah. we can learn a lot about God's, uh, when we read the Old Testament, when we read about the, yeah. you know, the types and shadows, which all pointed to Christ, there's, there's always been one body of Christ. And when you look at what Paul said in Galatians, chapter 3, he says, you know, g- the gospel was preached to Abraham. Yeah. And he's talking about when, when he said, in you, uh, the na- all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Yeah. And he's he's basically saying, this whole thing is organic. You can't cut the head off of it. it, it right. There's always been one people of God that he has been raising up. Now, at that time, they needed the law like a tutor, right? Yep. And then once it once it comes mature, and that's Galatians four. Um, but anyway, that's with Christ fulfilling it. But why don't we get back into spiritual warfare? <laughs> oh no! But I mean, I think this is that a part of it because it's the idea that one of the things that I believe spiritual warfare, and one of the most important things of spiritual warfare, is the Word of God and is the understanding of the yeah. moral code and understanding what sin is. Because we can't, we, we, when we're being tempted by the enemy, 
one of the things, or when we're making a way for sin to come into our lives and therefore the enemy to come into our lives, sometimes it really is because we don't understand or because we've bought into a lie. We've bought into a false ideal or a false uh, moral code like this current moral code where grace is... uh, Grace is you can do whatever you want and Jesus is just going to forgive you in the end. So just live however you want and just realize Jesus loves you anyway. That that is not that doesn't fall in the Bible. You can't find that in the Bible. Yes, Jesus right. loves you. Yes, he loves you anyway. Yes, he wants to he wants you to be set free. And yes, grace covers a multitude of sins and you can't earn grace. But the reality of it is, is that when he comes in, he changes you. And if there is no change, then we have to wonder whether he ever came in. So this this false narrative that you can just kind of live however you want, and at the end of the day, Jesus is going to save you, isn't biblical. Even Paul talks about that. There were people that were saying they were preaching that, and Paul's like, uh-uh, that's not what I'm saying. It's not what I'm saying at all. And right. then there were people— he, he's, Yeah, he says, he says you're not under the law. But you're under grace. I'm looking for—yeah, I want to turn to Romans chapter— It is in Romans. Six. Yeah. It's verse 14. He says, you're not under the law. But you're under grace. If you wonder why I'm breathing like oh, this, I just ran. I just ran downstairs. <laughs> now I'm running back upstairs. So I'm he fine. says, "You're not under the law. You're under grace." But what you want to do is, is you hear that preached at people who ever mentioned the law at all. You could say, right. uh, "You shouldn't lie. It's a sin." Sure. Well, I'm under grace, and that's just ridiculous because law. What you got to look at what Paul's saying in that passage. He's already said. Do not do lawlessness. Yes. And lawlessness absolutely. is absolutely. sin. And so what he's saying is that because you are um, under grace, you are right. you are living in a way, in a system where you are declared righteous, not on the basis of law keeping, right. because you were under grace. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that means that's the basis of which we are declared righteous. Absolutely. That is in no way saying, therefore, you can sin as much as you want. Or if you sin, it's just a little oopsie. No, it's still right. sin. It's still something we should be fighting and, and mortifying. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And Paul talks often about that in Romans. Even I mean, even in Romans 14, where he says that he's talking about what things that can be perceived as sin, but some things are not and some things are. He's like, for you, it is sin because your heart condemns you. But for me, it's not. But there's still a central moral code that doesn't change. And it's the law. The law, like he says in, in Romans 7, where he goes on to say, he talks about how, you know, are we to say that we're going to do away with the law? And he said, God forbid, for without the law, I never would have known that I was in sin. That's what the law represents, because when you take away the law, when you take away God determining what is right and wrong, and I determine what is right and wrong, I therefore have no idea then what is really right and wrong. It is only by my perception or by your perception instead of what God is telling me. So without God giving us the law, since we were all determining for ourselves what is right and wrong, we never really would have known what was right and wrong. We never really would have known what was sin in the eyes of God. But So the law was given so that we would understand that. So exactly. that we would know. Exactly. And so by but like Paul says, I can't find salvation through the law because I will always fail when it comes to the law. Only through the grace of God can I fulfill the law. Because only well, through Jesus Christ. But he also goes on at one point and says, you know, I'm not you know, are you saying then that God forbid I'm gonna just sin? Because he says, you know, uh, he says something like, nothing for me is sin. They said, but does that mean that I can just do whatever I want and I can just sin? God forbid, I'm not saying that at all. 
you know, because he who lives in sin isn't going to go into the heaven, isn't going to come into the presence of God, and he doesn't know God. Because if you knew God, you wouldn't sin, or you wouldn't, you would struggle, but you would understand that it's wrong. You wouldn't just one, be willy nilly going, I don't care. Right. Yeah. One thing about the the law that we need to understand, and this is something that many Christians mix up really bad. There needs to be a good understanding of the the distinction between the gospel right. and the law. And what we see is that redemption always re- precedes obedience. Salvation precedes the law. Justification precedes sanctification. So God brought them out of Egypt. He brought them through the Red Sea. He brings them to Sinai. And then he says, this is how you are to live. Yeah. And he doesn't say, it's how you are to live because, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be your, your uh, slave driver now. Right. He says, because, it's because of his mercy, because of how he has delivered them. Um, out of slavery, and it's the same with us. We, we are not justified, or we're not saved based on our obedience to the law. Right. You know, that's that's the Roman Catholic understanding. We are saved, we are justified and declared righteous based on Christ's obedience to the law. Yes. Based on what he did. And then, out of, out of uh, response to grace, out of re- this response to this freedom, and to our new Lord and Savior, we then... Uh, live in obedience to him. There's a way we are supposed to live, and we're obligated to live that way. Yeah. A lot of people don't like yeah. to hear that, but it's kind of like me saying, I'm not obligated, like me and Megan are married and we love one another, right. uh, therefore I'm not really obligated to um, anything. Yeah, I can do whatever ridiculous. I want. I'm, I'm free to, yeah, I'm, I'm free to do what I want, and that, yeah, it's absurd. It's ridiculous because... And, the, but we do it, it to God rela- all the time. Right, but we don't look at God's relationship the same way, which is why Paul says, I, I likened it unto a marriage. Because Paul wanted us to understand that this is about a relational thing. It isn't just about whether it's right or wrong. It's about what hurts that relationship. What brings a separation in that relationship. If you're you're with your wife and you're cheating on your wife all the time, nine chances out of ten, that relationship is going to be broken and and you're going to lose your wife. But we do the same thing to God. We're constantly cheating on him with the world. And then coming back to him and saying, well, well, you, you know, you understand God, right? You understand. And do I think he does? Absolutely. Do I think he forgives us if, if we're genuinely repentant? Absolutely. But we're constantly doing that because we don't think of sin along those lines. We think of sin along the lines of whether it's a right and wrong thing uh, and I should or shouldn't do it. And but yet it feels good and I don't see any real I don't see any real uh effects like it doesn't really hurt me you know that old say that statement well if it's not hurting anybody but me what does it matter but the reality of it is it breaks relationship with god and it hurts god so if we look at sin from that perspective we'll think twice about sinning but we don't we don't look at it and how it affects god we just look at it whether or not it's right and wrong or whether or not there's any consequences for us not whether or not it hurts god right you know um and that's that's the heart of it. That's the sweet really spot, is. really. It is. Is is it hurts God? It's not just oh, I'm sorry, I got caught, but exactly. it, it, because it hurts God. You know, Martin Luther, pre, uh, after preaching in Wittenberg, yeah. he comes out of the church, and there's a drunk guy who's in this gutter, and he's um, just laying there drunk, you know, passed out. And Martin Luther, and I think he was uh, one of his uh, congregants, so he picks him up. And he just kind of give, kind of blasts them and chastises them. You know, you have a family, you're you're a Christian. What are you doing? Well, the man pulls out a paper, yeah. and it's an indulgence that he went out of the boundaries of of Wittenberg 
to buy this indulgence, and he said, it's taken care of. And that ticked Martin Luther off so bad that he yeah. waited till All Hallows' Eve on October 31st, 1517, to post his 95 theses, which were all against indulgences. Yes. And we read that story, and we hate that story, and it makes us sick that the guy would think that's okay. Not only that, but that the church was teaching that that was okay. It wasn't just this right. guy was ignorant. It was the church teaching that, hey, your sin is taken care of. But here's the thing is— as disgusting as that is, we pull out grace and act like that's a license. Oh, absolutely. You know, we do, we do the same exact absolutely. thing. And the well, fact they, and the reality right. is they that sold all, all persons, not just Christians, but, but all persons are actually obligated to the moral law. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, when you take that away and you, and you take a hold of the fruit and say, the fruit of the knowledge of tree of good and evil, which represented, I determine what's right and wrong. I will be like God, like like the enemy said, determining what is right and wrong. Then you have a billion people all determining what is right and wrong with no, with this with this whole world of chaos, which is really what you're beginning to see more of now than you ever did before. This idea that everybody's truth is truth, and everybody's perception of truth deserves the same amount of uh, recognition as everybody else's. Well, then that takes away the idea that there actually is a truth, and it produces chaos, and that's kind of what we got now, you know. Right, and and, and you're right with with the the whole thing with grace, and that's kind of one of the misconceptions of, I think that has kind of made its way in the church about grace is that it is a license to sin. It is not a license to sin, but that's kind of, and I'm not saying everybody feels that way, but there has been right, yeah, kind of yeah. like some extremists, some extreme people taking that to this idea that, well, grace is my license to sin and taking scriptures out of context. Like what Paul says, well, nothing for me is sin. You know well, I mean, saying? there, but, there is truly a, a hyper grace movement and, oh, absolutely. you know, even, even in, um, well, well, here's the thing with the law. One more thing on that is, is, is this is used a lot, um, in reform circles, but the purposes of the law. Yeah. And there's this threefold purpose, really. And yeah. the first is it's like a mirror. You know, it shows yeah. you the reflection, God's character, it shows us a reflection um, and it illumines uh, human sinfulness. Yeah. Second purpose is it restrains evil, it illumines man's wickedness. You know, if you don't think, if you think man's just naturally good, then lift the law for 24 hours and see what happens. Yes. Um, the third purpose of the law is really good for Christians. It reveals what is pleasing to God. It shows us how to live. And so all, the, all three of those purposes, you go back to the first one, how it illumines sin and shows us our sinfulness, yeah. that's great to use for evangelism. Yeah, you know, not just, not just for your own personal life, but for evangelism. Because um, 90% of people you talk to, you walk out, you, you share the gospel with them, and they already think they're a good person. You, you, you can ask them, are you a good person? Yeah. And they'll say, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. Right, but you, if you hold up God's law to them, they'll realize. They're Hang not. on a second, I'm I'm not good. Yeah, and and it's like, well, That's neither right. am I. That's right. I'm not holding this Absolutely. up to, to to act morally superior. I'm holding it up because I'm a sinner too. You're a sinner, yeah. and that's why Christ came to redeem us and make us new Absolutely. creations and so forth. So. I want to talk about Ephesians 6, because it is my favorite, as everybody probably who knows me. And we're going to start in 10, where he says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. That's one thing, one aspect of spiritual warfare, to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. 
which strong in the Lord and his might, not yours, his, comes from him. It is his power, it is his authority, and that's what Paul is establishing right from the get-go here. He's like, I want to talk to you about warfare, but the first thing you need to know is that it comes from him. All power is in him. It isn't in you. It's in him. So when we stand against the enemy, you're standing in his authority and his power. And when you're strong, in the, when you're, strong you're strong in him and in his power. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Wiles, another term for for tricks or deceptions of the enemy. So right there he's talking about the thing that we're really standing against is the lies of the enemy. It's the tricks of the enemy. It isn't a physical, I'm going to grab my sword and kill you fight like you see in a lot of Hollywood television. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So, again... What he's saying there is there are spiritual beings that we're wrestling with that are causing problems that we are dealing with. It is not flesh. And see, the, one, of the, one of the things we all have a problem with is this idea. I know because I struggled with this over the last couple of months with a new coworker. We want to attack the person. Yeah. And we want to come after the flesh. So a person does something and our immediate response is I'm going to attack that person. I'm no different than anyone else. I wrestle with that too. But the reality of it is, is that it is not the person. Is The person is not the problem. The problem is the spiritual atmosphere behind it, behind what's going on, behind why the person, maybe they're dealing with their own issues because they're dealing with spiritual things, but they're not a Christian and they don't know how to fight those spiritual things. So they're falling apart. And then they're even more influenced by the enemy and they're going to see the light in you and they're going to attack that. And so our first gut reaction is to attack them back. And that's what Paul's trying to tell us here. You don't do that. Your enemy is not that person. It is not flesh and blood, but it is this principalities, is the spiritual things, the, the host of wickedness that's going on in the, in, in the spirit that you're not able to see with your eyes. But it's so easy to get focused on the physical aspect of it. And, and then we want to we counter that. And that's where we, you know, even like, oh, well, somebody really hurt me. Well, there's truth to that. You probably were hurt. But the Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It's not ours. But we want to immediately go out and bring vengeance and justice. Well, that's not my job. So, right. Okay, so to go on, therefore yep. take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. So again, he's talking about standing here. Yes, it is a Roman version of warfare where you would plant your feet, you'd put the phalanx shields down, and you would stand, and the enemy would break against your shield, break against that shield wall. You'd move forward a few inches, stand again, and hold your ground. And that's one of the biggest aspects of spiritual warfare that I want to talk about is standing. Do not give background what you have already taken. And we have a tendency to do that all the time. The enemy gets us into our old habits, our old ways of thinking, and we give background that we've already taken, that God has already changed in our life, and we find ourselves falling into the same sins that we, that we supposedly had victory over because we gave background in our thinking and in our way of life back to the enemy and back to that old way of thinking. And, when, and so we think, all right, now I've been pushed back and now we've got to retake ground that we've already taken. But again, this has to do with standing. It doesn't have to do with us having a physical, uh, you know, one-on-one with the enemy, which we kind of, I think sometimes that's the way we view it. I'm not saying that there isn't some aspect of that, just not quite the way we kind of think it. So Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the things about this verse is when, when 
I mean, I remember hearing people talk about saying some formulaic prayer, sure. uh, putting on your helmet and yeah, breastplate and all that. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, I think that that's kind of missing the point, or, or Paul's point, because when you look at this passage, it's not, it's often ripped out as if, oh, well, Paul's ending his letter to the Ephesians, now he's talking about spiritual warfare. But what he does is look at all the elements, truth. Yep. Uh, belt of truth, righteousness, gospel of peace, yep. faith, salvation, he's the word of God. You, he's all these you. elements are yeah. mentioned in the book of Ephesians before. Yep. So we, we don't want to make this out as if Paul's giving us something separate here. And he's saying because no, we not. are in Christ, chapters 1 through 3, yep. we walk in him, chapters yep. 4 through 6, yep. and then the full provision stands as our as our protection as we are in Christ. That's right. And so it, it, it's not, you know, what does this belt tell me about truth? Right. You know, it's like, no, when you look at it, each one of the things, the belt of truth, truth is mentioned six times in Ephesians. Yeah. And you go back through and you look at what truth says. And then you look at uh, righteousness is mentioned. Uh, what, however many times I wrote down, uh, 33 times uh, the six elements, though, are used in the book. And, Absolutely. you know, it's not in terms of our imagination, but it's in terms of what we actually have provided for us Absolutely. by God. No, then that's true. You know what I'm saying? And he's using this. It, it, what it is is an example. And yeah, so yeah, it's an we make it into of, some yeah. weird spiritual armor. And again, you know me. I'm an imaginative guy, and I like to think about it, and I like to imagine. Like, you know, what if what my I helmet falls, falls off? Right, Did yeah, you put your helmet on, Jay? Yes. No. I mean, I, and I don't – but I like to imagine that I'm wearing armor when I'm and there's nothing wrong with that. But what he's saying here is that truth will gird up your waist. Well, in the Roman armor, the waist not only held up your, your belt and held up your pants, that pants covered your private parts. So what he's saying here is gird up your waist with the truth. The truth is what's going to keep you from getting hit where it hurts. It's going to keep you. Because where you're getting hit where it's hurt, getting hit in that weak spot is where you're going to really take some damage. So if you put the truth in there, it's going to gird that up. I just should have been in my Sunday school class when I talked about this like three weeks ago. So, uh, you know, you're going to get hurt. And so the truth is going to keep you from – it's going to shore up your weak points. And you really make – why didn't he talk about like a spiritual cup in this? Well, I mean, Maybe that's technically what it is, really. It's a, tech, <laughs> it's, it's a spiritual cup. It was just pieces of leather with, with metal covering their, you know. Private. Yeah, I, I, but the reality of it is, is that it is it. When what this does is it shores up your weaknesses. When we are weak, when we have problems, and we go to the truth, it shows us where we are weak and what needs to be dealt with, and that shores that weakness up. That's why he says that. And then he says to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What protects our heart is that we are right standing with God. That is going to protect that main torso is that I'm in right standing with God, that I have righteousness with God. And if I stay in righteous standing with God, and if I understand the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ, well, then that, that aspect of my heart isn't going to get hurt. I'm not going to let the enemy come in and take that away from me because I know my right standing with God. He can't come in and say, oh, you're not righteous with the Lord anymore, or you're just too much of a sinner, or you're condemned because we understand the righteousness. Or shodding my feet with the perspiration of the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. If we are, if we have the peace that comes from the understanding of the gospel, 
which is that Jesus Christ died for my sins and that through him I can come in the presence of God and I have eternal salvation and eternal relationship with him. That brings a peace to me and I'm not going to be moved. I'm not going to be easily moved. I'm not going to fall apart when the enemy comes in or when the, when the world starts to fall apart because I have that peace that holds me in place. So you see that there are representations of a spiritual principle. They're not an actual physical you know, shoe that you put on. He's talking right, about yeah. the shield of faith, which will quench the darts of the enemy. Well, my I think faith represents that. I'm standing in faith, and it's going to quench those enemies. when the enemy comes in and he says, "Look, you, you know, you, you're, you're going to fall apart, or you have cancer, or this is going to happen, or your kids are going to die, or this is going to happen, or you're going to lose your job, and, and you're going to lose your house." So you say, "No, by faith, I'm not going to believe that, and I stand in my faith." It represents something. It, 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 those, those darts that are coming in, those attacks that are coming in, they lose their effectiveness when you stand on faith. So it's a representation of, of what these principles that we are supposed to use in spiritual warfare, not that you know, we have an actual weapon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, the thing is, like, I, I, think, um, I think sometimes, too, we can get tied up thinking too hard about, like, like you said when you started, yeah. It's be strong in the Lord, absolutely, in the power of His might, and in His might. Yeah. Um, when we simply, what He's doing is He's pointing us to walk worthy of the manner of of the call um, before us, and it, it's the whole armor of God. Like it's something that I think, like like I said, the formulaic prayers that that a lot of spiritual warfare people sure. will write write about. It you know it's like I'm putting on my helmet of salvation. I'm putting on. And it's like, it's like I, I don't salt think that's on your you know doorpost to keep demons out. Although I do believe in anointing things with oil, the Bible talks about that. I'm not against that. Yeah, I wouldn't and, do that. Of course, you but would. I mean, but, but I'm not against that. Well, I mean, yeah, that, that's that's to me another like superstitious thing that it, I don't it, know. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like a Harry. It's kind of like turning turning spiritual warfare into sort of like a Harry Potter type superstitious thing. Well, I where, mean, the Bible but, talks but using, about like, anointing. We we anointed with oil. And that's something that's been going on since the beginning. So yeah, whether when, or not we still, sick, I, I believe in it. I, I believe in anointing with oil. Uh, I don't believe that it is an end all. I'm talking catch-all. about like doorpost and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm not against it. If somebody to me, wants that's to do it. that's more of a territorial view of spiritual warfare, and I think truth is. Yeah, but you weird. and I have never dealt. Well, I have, but you've never dealt with like a haunted house. So when you're dealing with people who are like, you know, I've got demons and what appears to be ghosts running around my house, what do I do? Well, here's what you do. The Word of God. You resist the devil. You stand firm in the Word of God. You proclaim the the gospel of truth. It's not some, you know, stuff like that. Um, I, I don't I don't think it's something where, where we have to take over this territory. No, you know I, I'm, I'm not necessarily saying that but demons are territorial that's even new testament and old testament we're you know we're not talking about this is something that isn't there is no precedent right i mean the it, it's this like the sprint prince of persia for example yeah. um and daniel yeah um of course you know daniel wasn't like speaking incantations at the prince of per- persia you know but no but, but there was battle but he going also on. didn't walk but in here's here's the, the thing that spiritual. paul does in the new testament is he goes in and it's like any spiritual battle going on, he just proclaims the gospel. He goes in and he starts preaching and advancing the truth sure. and winning men's hearts and minds. But he also and, deals with devils. He casts out the devil of the girl well, of that's following him. Of course he did, but him. 
you know, and, and you know that was that was something that you know. I mean, Jesus, cast Jesus out did the, as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, they they all did to some degree because we don't have every account of what they did in the Bible. We only have certain ones that that God believed was important for us to have. But but the reality. But I think of, it's a, go ahead. I, I do think it's important not to exceed what what. Like Paul says in First Corinthians four six, don't exceed what is given to you in Scripture, and I think that's done a lot. And okay, you know, well, I'm not against you know that. I'm not against. I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying I'm not against somebody who feels like they want to anoint something with oil. I mean, I don't think you should pour salt. That's a superstitious thing. You know, oh, we're going to pour or or the there, sage thing. Well, we're going to cleanse the house with sage. Of that's superstitious. Superstitious. That's, not, that's a new age philosophy that made its way into the church. It has nothing to do with with true, you know, spiritual warfare or dealing with demons. But then, and, and let's kind of head segue into this because I think you and I might disagree a little bit on this. There is a reality to demonic possession, and one of the I think one of the yeah. lies that we see in today in has even made its way into the church is that anything that is demonic in nature is automatically a mental disorder. Yeah. So yeah. If you're seeing a demons or if you're, re- or, or if you're having experiences like that, where you're really just, uh, you, you know, there's some hallucinogen in your house or it's, you know, whatever, or, or it's, uh, that you're, you have a mental disorder that you're, you know, um, schizophrenic or, or something along those lines. And that's just simply not true. There's just too many people having experiences to say that everybody is just schizophrenic. It's kind of like that ridiculous statement, and I don't care who you are, it is a ridiculous statement to say that the supernatural things that were going on in Salem before the witch trials were just a result of rye bread. It's a load of crap. It just is. Yeah. All the things that were happening, all the things that they were experiencing, all the things that they were going through— and and that's a load of crap to say it was just it was just some form it was just rye bread, no it wasn't, it wasn't. Well, rye there's bread. a reason in the Old Testament that um, God warns against being a medium and and, and and getting involved in the occult, you know, practice of of uh, contacting demons and so forth. Um, there's a reason that not only that, but there's there's people there were sins that he says you're polluting the land. Yeah, and that's why they got kicked out, the Canaanites. Sure. And then Absolutely. they turn the the uh, in Judah, they turn around and do the same thing when Manasseh reigns, and they start doing things worse than yeah. the ones that kicked them out, and yeah. they got sent into exile shortly after that. But yeah. that's one of the things, though, that he says, "Don't do that." Yeah, and why not do that? Well, because these things are harmful and they're real. Um, you know, I'm saying that. Absolutely. So what would you do? Like, I believe in casting out devils. So, I mean, if somebody's dealing with outright demonic attacks or, you know, uh, what we can be perceived as the paranormal in today's world, I believe that you would want to call a Christian to come in and, and he would cast them out and deal with them the way Jesus would deal with them and deal with them the way Paul would deal with them. But I also believe that if you are allowing those spirits in, if you have things in your life that are allowing them in, casting them out isn't just isn't isn't just going to get rid of them because they're going to come back. When the Bible says that you cast a spirit out, it's going to go out in the dry places. It's going to get seven of its friends. It's going to come back and the state of the person is going to be worse than it was before because that area wasn't dealt with. You know what I'm saying? So if if you're not dealing with these areas in your life that are allowing these things in, casting them out isn't going to keep them out. Right. And what I would tell people, the whole um, pray this prayer, do this thing or do that, 
you know, I would tell them, I would preach the gospel to them, I would tell them to believe the gospel, and it's kind of like wh when you learn about germs, mm -hmm. um, it's, it's not good to become a germaphobe. Right. You can't see it, Absolutely. but the solution is really just a clean life. And so if you're dealing with stuff like Absolutely. that, and, you know, the solution is live a righteous life before God and stand upon the word. Live in faith and repentance. Right. And and uh, you don't, the Bible never says for us to, and I'm not saying with the, if a demon's in your face, you don't, you, you call upon Jesus, you have the access, you yep. have access to the throne room of grace. So, but what I, what I would advise people is resistance Satan is really turning unto God. Absolutely. Not sitting there and squ squaring your shoulders and being like, I'm a demon killer, I have got authority. and I. It's like, no, that's ridiculous. Just right. You got access to the throne room of grace to the one do, who has authority over all things. You know, so uh, turn your attention to that and, stay, and do, it, do what Paul says to do. Yeah. Stand upon the word of God. Well, Peter like, says, resist the devil and he will flee. And, you know... Absolutely. Anyway. No, I agree with you 100%. I think the best the best kind of spiritual warfare is preventative warfare. But when you find yourself in these situations, because they do exist, and that's, I guess what I'm trying to say is they do exist, and there is an answer in the Bible for them. And it is it is the Word of God. It is the name of Jesus. It is the authority that comes with the Lord. You know, when dealing with the Gadarene demoniac, there were there were... Uh, many, there were a legion, and they couldn't prevent this guy from falling at his feet before Jesus. You know, they were begging for mercy yeah. from him, not from us, but from him. So Paul says at the beginning of Ephesians, now therefore you walk in the Lord. You grow in the Lord and walk in his might. It is his might, but we are supposed to walk in that authority. We are supposed to have that authority. So when we're dealing with, en with the enemy, if we're dealing with something that is supernatural like this, we have the authority to come against that in Jesus Christ. It is not our power. It isn't that we are taking up an actual sword and hacking them. It isn't because we're just so great, but it is through Jesus Christ. But he gave us the authority to walk in that, which is why Paul was able to cast out a devil, which is why uh, um, they were able to raise the dead, which is why they were able to do the things that they were able to do and why we are is because we do walk in the authority that comes from God. We just have to realize where that comes from. So my opinion, when you're dealing with something that is supernatural like that, there isn't a lot of hokey religious uh, rituals. It's just simply walking the authority that Jesus has given you. And, and yeah, and you, one thing, you have to be careful with, um, with a lot of this stuff, too, because like when Paul says, don't exceed what is, what is prescribed in Scripture, for example, because when you look at um, Hindus, when you look at other uh, pagans, have their exorcisms. They did, and they, there they is do. no yes, and and a lot of times, because um, I was asked why, why would why would those who don't believe in Jesus be able to cast out demons? I think that a lot of times, because this is a sign and wonder type thing, where Satan is, and a sign and wonder, especially in the Bible, is 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 used to authenticate the message of those who bring it, which is why the apostles. Had, did so many signs and wonders, and Jesus did too, and Elijah did too, and then Moses, you know, it was an authentication of, how do we know this guy is from God, and, and it's it's this. Sure. But there... Well, the Bible the, the says reason, that he though, worked that we, with them confirming his word with signs and wonders. Right, and the reason, though, that we we have to be careful when it comes to what methods. Oh, you poured salt over your shoulder and the demon left? 
Yeah, you know, it's right. like, or you, or you anointed, and this, and this happened, and that's why I'm saying. That's why a lot of times I'll come against certain things, but certain people will say, "No, it worked for me," and it's like, well, it, it might have worked for the pagans too, in, in Athens, and and right. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, the Catholics have their own version of exorcism, which I find ridiculous. So I'm not. You know, screaming I, for hours. I, I prefer like a laser beam, staring at you know, putting a cross in front of their face and throwing holy water on them. You know, but yet people claim that this works. People well, I claim carry a forty-five. You know, <laughs> and if I ever, <laughs> I guess you will know, that, will that work? I uh, maybe. You know, if you go if you're Hellboy, you know, you, the relic will bullets there. I I think that um, we have to go. In my opinion, when it comes to dealing with demons. We have, we can't create a bunch of rituals. We have to go to the Bible and see how they handled it. And there's enough examples in there of how they handled the things of the spirit that we can get a good ex- we can get a good hint as to how they dealt with it. And that was simply just to to face it under the authority of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Right, and and, and that's that's one of the things I was mentioning earlier is is. We have all these examples, but we don't have examples of, like, for example, binding and rebuking Satan and uh, uh, praying for a hedge of thorns around people and stuff like that. And it's like, these are, I mean, they're really unbiblical things that, not, I'm not saying you can't pray for a hedge of protection for somebody. But what I'm saying is, not there, there's not this imaginary hedge which Satan is allergic to. Right. You know, it's like, we, we pray for protection, but we think these magical words somehow will thwart the enemy's power. We, we and talked it's like, about this in one of the other uh, podcasts where we almost treat prayer as casting spells. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's not. It isn't. It is not casting spells. No, it isn't. So if you, if you leave, if you get anything out of this podcast, <laughs> anything at all, understand that prayer is not casting spells. We are not Harry Potter. And this is not, you know. I No, and we do kind of treat it that way sometimes. You know, we do I think a lot of a lot of ways that that many Christians that think about spiritual warfare is becomes a very mystical, superstitious thing where where we include things that that pagans do. Yes, and I think I agree. And I, w- and I agree. Here's the thing: is that people get all up on their in their seats and excited. Oh, we're talking about spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about scary stuff, and we're going to talk about and well, yes, I mean the demonic is scary. And um, but it, it's really, you know, resisting Satan is a day to day, very uh, mediocre, menial thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's just you know, disciplining yourself and actually be, being a it true war. Just just like any, um, we look at these people uh, like a uh, a Navy SEAL or, or somebody, and we're like, oh man, look at him. But you don't know how many disciplined hours of, of boring. That's right. That's oh, it, it's, right. it would have been so boring for us to go through that. We'd much rather watch TV or have fun doing something else. Yep. But they went through all this disciplined stuff. And the Christian life is very similar that that it's not super dramatic. It's not something where we're, um, no. No, you right. know, anyway. No, you're absolutely right. It's practical. But we want to make it yeah. is spiritual. Yeah. And it is absolutely. supernatural. But it, not in this you know, extreme way. It is extreme. It just isn't extreme in our feelings. It's, it's much, it's not, it's not, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, sensational. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking for it. 
but it is supernatural. It is powerful. It is spiritual. It does, you know, we do, we do deal with the enemy because the reality of the enemy, and this is, again, you know, everybody's heard this statement that one of the greatest uh, things the enemy ever did was to convince people he wasn't real. Well, the reality of it is when a demon is outright in your face, that's when they're at their weakest. Right. Because they're at their strongest when you don't know they're working, when they're influencing subtly. That's oh, yeah, why yeah. there is a difference between somebody who struggles with psychopathy, for instance, uh, the actual physical mental illness where they don't feel things the same way everybody does. Well, 99% of those people don't become, they don't become killers. Why does the 1%? Well, they are being influenced. There is an influence that comes there. There is a spirit that influences just by you can be held in your thoughts and, and you could struggle with insecurity and it can hold you back from fulfilling your potential or from having healthy relationships. And there are spirits that influence those thoughts. There are spirits that will come around you and try to perpetuate that cycle of destruction in your life. And Jesus wants to break that in the whole, and through the word of God and through putting that in and believing what God says about about you will break those thoughts around your life that's when the enemy is at his most destructive that's when you i really believe that that's where you see most demonic um most demonic attacks from the enemy come in that vein they come there in the subtle influences of people whether right. it be and from uh, okay, well, my wife divorced me, so therefore they come in and they subtly influence and 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 reinforce those negative thoughts in your life. They, they're there, and and so putting the word in and putting what God says in changes that and reinforces what God says about you. And that's one of the reasons why the the the, the uh, word of God is a sword, because it dispels the lies that the enemy tells you. The lies that even the world tells you or, or that even your experiences tell you and enables you to cut through that and say, no, I'm going to believe this instead. This is what I know to be true. And then that will become your reality. And that's one of the ways that it is a sword that you use against the enemy. That's how Jesus fought the devil when he was out there for 40 days and 40 nights. He didn't pull out a spiritual sword and attack him. He used the word of God. So when the enemy came and said, you know, you're starving. Why don't you make this bread? You know, this you can make this into bread, you know, this rock into bread. No, I don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Father. He used the word of God to reinforce what he knew to be true and he and to dispel the misrepresentation of the word the enemy was bringing in. Right. You know. it, 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 it's interesting. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples who they say he is. Peter said, you are the Christ. And then Jesus told Peter, the Father has revealed this to you. you and like Peter probably thought, what's that? Are you making coffee? It sounds like you're... I am. So it, Peter probably thought that all of his thoughts were his very own. But oh. Jesus tells him that that the Father revealed it to him. Yeah. And then, fast forward a couple of verses, yeah. Jesus tells yeah. them that he's going to suffer and die. And then Peter rebukes Jesus <laughs> and true. tells him, far be it from you. And then Jesus turns to Peter and he rebukes him. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. That's right. Peter probably thought that all his thoughts were his very own, but, but Satan planted that thought Absolutely. in his mind. Yep. And so that's something that one and more thing about good. Hold on, it seemed good, right? 
It seemed like a good statement. What he said seemed like a good thing to say, right? Like, no, you know, you can't do that because we're not going to let that happen. But it was the wrong thing to say because it was the enemy's way of doing things because God knew he needed to go to the cross. And the enemy is like, no, no, no. It's not good for him to go to the cross. And so the enemy perpetuated probably something to some degree that was already in his heart. Like, no, I don't want to see him die. And then he perpetuated that and pushed that forward. And like you said, put those thoughts in his head even more so and reinforce those feelings that he may have already even had, you know, so it's good. Yeah. yeah. One of the things, though, about the sad thing about people cr- professing Christians, I'll call them professing Christians, because I think a lot of people are false converts, but professing Christians who deny that there's an evil one. Right. Um, so check this out. Uh of evangelicals read God's Word once or twice a month. 20% of church growers never read the Bible. 48% of professing evangelical Christians believe there is more than one way to heaven. Okay? 40%, this is from Pew Research, 40% of professing Christians believe Satan is merely a symbol of evil and not a real thing. And the sad part of this is when you turn to John 17, before Jesus is one of the my favorite chapters, yeah. and before Jesus is going to die his, his prayer, he's about to go die for us, right? Mm-hmm. And he says this, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. It yeah. seems like Jesus really, and then he goes further, it seems like he really believed in an evil one. And he says, they are not of the he world did. just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth, yeah. for your word is truth. And so the Bible and the Bible alone is really our rule of faith and practice of, as believing Christians. And the Bible tells us there is an evil one. Yes, there the is. Bible tells us, and and not only that, but Jesus's prayer was for us to be protected from the evil one. Yep. And then he says, th- th- "These words are just wonderful. Sanctify them in your truth, for your word is truth." And then you look at those stats and how sad that is that so many professing believers sanctify them in your truth, your word is truth, and then he goes and dies a brutal death for our sins, and 40% once or twice a month, you know, over 50% don't even read the word. It's true. And it's, you know, it's no wonder that almost half of professing evangelicals say, no, there's more than one way. Well, think about how easy it is to be deceived if you're not going to read the truth. If you're not going to oh, yeah, put it into yeah. your mind and you're not going to meditate on it. I'm not saying I'm much better at times, but still, how easy, how much easier is it for you to be deceived by those things when that's what you're putting in? And right, you're, exactly. you're allowing the enemy to deceive you because you're putting that deception in your eyes and not putting the truth in. And again, I believe in angels and demons. The Bible talks about them. I believe in spiritual warfare. I do believe that there is a battle, and I do believe, you know, I've seen both, and I do believe that they exist, and I do believe there is a spiritual warfare going on, and I do believe that sometimes it does make its way in a supernatural way into the world, And but we have been given authority to deal with those things. It is not done by rituals or by pagan rituals. It is not done by just positive energy. It comes from the authority. Like Paul says at the beginning of that scripture, by, be strong in, in the Lord and in the power of his might. That, if that's you see, what it is. And if you see a, a demon from experience, if you see a demon, scream your head off. <laughs> and you'll probably scare it away. Probably. If you scream loud yeah, enough, yeah. and that would be like my method. That old, <laughs> that old adage that it's more afraid of you than you are. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I mean, you're, you're going to, I think everybody, because there is just too much supernatural stuff going on in the world. But I believe even most Christians deal have dealt with it in some way, shape, or form. Because the enemy is there. And he does make himself known. Well, yeah, there are I times think... when he wants to cripple you with fear or he wants to just, you know, you're dealing with something and he, want, he wants to bring sickness into your life or he wants to bring a, just a lack of peace in your life. And, and there is a supernatural element to that where you see a demon at, at night or you have, or you have night terrors. That's, a, that's one way that I know because I've dealt with that, that the enemy does attack you. And, and, but there is an answer and it does come from the Holy Spirit and it does come from God. It does come from the fact that he has authority, that all power has been given to him in heaven and in earth, that all things uh, in, in uh, Philippians where he says that, uh, um, you know, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess of, of things in heaven, of things in the earth and of things under the earth, what represents the kingdom of, of Satan. Everything will bow at the name of Jesus. So there is power. There is authority that comes from that to deal with these things. They are real, well, but we have the ability to deal with them. Satan's wiles and his tactics. And when you read through scripture, you can write down all his names. And I got them here. Not all of them, but just for example, what does he do? Well, the name Satan means slanderer. He slanders. Yep. Son of the morning. He is beautiful. He's attractive. He'll deceive you. Yep. Beelzebub. He's yep. Lord of dwelling. Belial, he's a false god. The yep. evil one, absolute corruption comes from him. He's the tempter. He yep. will try and make you think earthly things are ultimately satisfying. Yep. The prince of this world and age, he is. He has schemes in motion at highly orchestrated level. He's of the the that's the next one. I, yeah. He's the accuser of brethren. He brings condemnation. He's a serpent. He's crafty. Yep. He's a dragon. He produces fear. He's the angel of light. Yep. He'll win you over. He's the father of lies. Yep. He's behind it all. And so when you when you think about everything false and everything deceptive, it really comes from him, the worldly system, the worldly way of thinking. It, it comes from him. That's yeah. why the truth of God's word, that's why walking in the truth is how we resist the devil. And yeah. uh, one other thing I was going to mention, I forgot a while back, but you um, said... God, what did you say? I don't know. What you said something. Uh, here's here's the thing about experiences. I think yeah. people have had experiences, but I think sometimes people might think something's wrong with them because certain people will talk about it like sure. they see yeah, yeah. see something every day, and they have an angel tell them. You know, it's like great day, like um, or they they read. Uh, they oh, that's my washing machine. I thought we were under attack. But here's the thing. I think that there there's sometimes this idea that if you aren't feeling stuff or seeing stuff, and it's like, no, actually, if you're you're experiencing stuff too much, maybe you're not normal. <laughs> you know, it's not it's not necessarily <laughs> that that if if you don't ever like we talked about before, your your faith and and believing. I believe in the evil one. I don't need to go around seeing him everywhere. And as a matter of fact, yes, I when you do see him. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear. Oh, you got quiet. Um, I'm listening. When you, when you do see him, I think one of his major tactics is not being seen because I, I like the way that oh, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien presents evil in The Lord of the Rings, the I book, agree. not the yes. movie. In the movie, yes. they actually get it a little bit wrong. But J.R.R. Tolkien really makes it seem as very subtle. 
Yes. Evil is very subtle. You don't just see Sauron. You don't. You just don't see, look, and see this evil and know it's evil exactly yeah, in right. the book. That's absolutely. You know, right. I mean, the ring race just walk around town saying, "Hey, you've seen? Have you seen Bilda?" <laughs> you right. know, but yeah. evil is very, and, and that's how I think it really is in the real world. Um, I agree. You know, I agree. Because it's because what's influences. more effective? Yes. What's more effective to come and scare the mess out of us so that we do cl- run to Christ? <laughs> Or right. absolutely. So, oh, I think that's why I think a lot of it is, it is to dissuade us, it is to deceive us, because a lot of people who are experiencing things like that will run to the negative. They'll run to the the kooky stuff, and and the enemy will allow it to work to a degree in order to deceive them. That's the reality of it. But I agree. If uh, one good thing to read is the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Love C.S. Lewis, but he talks a lot about it's. It, it is a yeah. series of letters from an elder demon to a younger demon about how to influence people, and it's all about subtle influences. None of it is about I'm going to jump up and I'm going to scream in their face and I'm going to possess their body and we're going to, you know, their heads right. going to spin around and they're going to crawl on the roof and you know what I'm saying? Because the first thing you're going to do when that's happening is you're going to turn to God where the power is. So that's why I've said when those things are happening, it's generally when they're, they're, they're at their weakest. But there are certain people in the world that are experiencing these kinds of things, and I think it has a lot to do with, for one, for torment, absolute torment. Oh, yeah. Secondly, it is to deceive them because when they do turn, a lot of times they turn to the wrong things. Or when they do start turning to the right things, it doesn't work quite the way they want it to because they need to get their lives right and they don't want to get their lives right a lot of times. They just want a relief from whatever the spiritual thing is and that perpetuates this idea that the church has no power. Well, that's not true. Not, not even true at all. But, but I do think that we can't be afraid to talk about it. We can't be afraid to acknowledge it. No, there isn't a devil around every corner. But spiritual warfare is real. Demons are real. The devil is real. Dealing with the supernatural and the paranormal is real. And we do have the ability as Christians to walk in the authority of Jesus to deal with these things. And I think that's something we just need to realize. I think um, one more thing. um, Yeah. Because we're probably going on pretty long here. Yeah, we are, but it's okay. uh, One more thing when you think about just our battle, um, often— whether it's the enemy or it's just us ourselves um, trying to hide our sin, yeah. whatever it might be, yeah. um, we are in this battle. I love Revelation 19, yeah. um, where you really see, and, and 20, where you see that on this grand cosmic stage, the enemy of us all, the enemy of, of the people of God throughout all of redemptive history, is destroyed, yeah. And and it's, this picture shows us that the battle is worth it, and that yeah. s- some people, you know, and, and in my church, you know, we will do like a corporate repentance type thing, sure. And some a lot of individualistic Americans in our culture don't like that, but you know, it's it's kind of it's one of these things though where it's like we come together like Daniel did, like Nehemiah did, yeah. and and we say. God, forgive us for this, for for not pursuing you the way we should, for you know, and so forth. But it's this picture that that we're in this together. And sure. so, if I'm doing good, well, am I not worried about my brother over here? Right. And so, but again, the Revelation 19, you see that we're all together. That all these forces of evil that people have thought yeah. I'm struggling with this alone, we're going to look at it in each little victory we have over sin and each little thing we're going to see that ultimately it was worth it and we'll see the devil we'll see 
evil. We'll see the beast thrown into the lake of fire. Yeah. And we'll see that I wasn't in it alone. Sure. The same enemy that is being kicked into the lake of fire now is the same one that, that I struggle with, that you struggle with, that uh, thousands and thousands, millions of other people did, yeah. or billions, however many. Yeah. Um, it, anyway, that, that's the whole absolutely uh, th- thing just seeing that it was it, it's being fought really at a cosmic level it is absolutely being fought at a cosmic level even when it comes to salvation uh, and i want to close with this uh the bible says that the god of this world has blinded the mind that those that should not believe lest the glorious light of the gospel of jesus christ should shine unto them so there is a reality to coming against that and asking that the holy spirit open up their eyes that they're able to see because lest right. the Holy Spirit open up their eyes, they're not going to see. Right. And and so that that is one of the biggest areas of spiritual warfare. Whether you want to believe that there's actually angels and demons fighting, and and to some degree, I think there are. But and and you know, like I said, I've seen experienced some things. It isn't about the experience, no. But the reality of it is, is that this is all about restoration. This is all about saving people. That's why we're still here, because it wasn't about that. Jesus would just take us as soon as we accept him, as Jesus, accept him we just go right to heaven. But we have a purpose. That's, we, that's right. are, we are the people that are, are, our, our reason for being is to be, bring the gospel of reconciliation to people. It that's is right. to fight for them. And the biggest fight is so that they would see Jesus. And when, the, when they are being blinded, that we would come against those spirits that are blinding them, come against the lies that are blinding them with the word of truth, with the power of Jesus, and, and, and bring them the gospel, which is the light, which dispels the darkness, and that brings that light to them. And that is the biggest area of spiritual warfare. Yes, there are personal areas of spiritual warfare, and we have the full armor of God for that. Yes, at times there is outright demonic interventions and paranormal things and we have the authority to take to, to combat that but the biggest and most important is that 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 we would pray against those spirits that are continuing to keep people blind from the love of jesus and from the gospel that's the most important warfare that we fight Amen. so that was good yeah man hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode um again the website is still down i'm actually revamping a lot of it we're Got to be doing some stuff, but the, the YouTube channel is up, and you can contact us through the YouTube channel by leaving a comment, by liking, and by um, subscribing to our channel if you like our content. You can leave us, drop us an email at thechristiansages at gmail.com. I check that as often as I can, um, but we will definitely get back to you if you, if, if, you, if you drop us a line there. If you need a prayer request, drop us a line there. Leave us a comment in, in, in the uh, comment section of our videos. If there's something that you'd like us to cover, Absolutely, we're going to do our best to cover it, and we'll get our best to get it into our normal content. Matter of fact, the spiritual warfare was something that had been requested. That's why we're doing it. We have a request for talking about tongues, which I definitely am looking forward to. I've got to do some more research again and, and refresh myself on a lot of the scriptures. Doug and I are going to have a big battle when it comes to that one. <laughs> 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 but I think it's going to be fun for you to listen to. Uh, you're going to have our first actual, probably, we are, like, wow, battle we are royal. Actually, we are actually going to um, speak in tongues against one another. <laughs> we are. Like, you say something, and then I'll warfare. say something back, and, yeah. and we'll... Yeah. We're going to have some So if you can crack. interpret, if there's any interpreter, <laughs> would you please tell us who wins the battle? <laughs> That's awesome. All right, love you guys. Hope you have a great night, and Thanks again for listening.